Hosting for this podcast is generously provided by Transistor at Transistor.fm. You are listening to Storygram Podcast Network. It's a one media, one media special or bonus because it's almost or it is the 4th of July. And what- Independence Day. Are you going to put like fireworks sounds or something? <laughs> <laughs> we are here and we're doing a 4th of July or whatever you want to call it special kind of. And we're going to talk about the Summer of Love, or at least one performance. Uh, it's the Jimi Hendrix Woodstock performance. Okay, so the dates of Woodstock was August 15th through 17th of 1969. It was scheduled, and the actual was August 15th through August 18th. And it was in Bethel, New York. And god damn, it was 51 years ago. At peak, people were saying estimated over 400. I've seen 500,000 people were there. That's pretty f- insane when you think about that. They're pretty sure that many, or does it, is it just growing every year? <laughs> like, it says more than 400,000 on the Wikipedia, okay. but I've read other ones where it was like close to 500,000. How much do you think it would be for a three-day ticket? Well, nowadays it'd be very expensive, but back then, I don't know, hundred dollars. <laughs> Eighteen dollars. Shut up! That's so funny. <laughs> and at the gate, it's twenty-four dollars. So the equivalent to today's standards, it would be about one hundred and thirty to one hundred and seventy dollars. How much is something like outside lands or? Uh, God damn it. Like, okay, say, let's do something like an equivalent. Like Burning Man, right? That's like over $800. For, do you think it's it, the equivalent Burning Man? Because people camped and stuff. And people camped, even though it was three days. And, but maybe... That's a little bit short. What about Coachella? Like, Coachella. What's I wonder let's what look up the prices. Are. How much are music festivals these days? <laughs> Obviously, expensive. we're not going to them. We have like, no idea how much they cost. We're like, what? <laughs> Uh, I know their grip. I'll tell you that. Coachella passes. 15th through 17th. How much are they? <laughs> General mission. How much do you think it is for the first tier? It's first tier? Yeah. For Coachella, $150. $449. So $450 for what? Like The first tier. Which is like one day or? I think that's all three days or. But it's general. like That's general admission. There's probably different setups for people. Third tier is $500 or $499. No, that's not that big of a jump from the last one. Oh, God. And there's VIP. Gift bag or something. That's the third tier. That means if you missed out fourth tier, you got two other tiers to go. Yeah. And then oh. they raise up the price for general admission. And then there's a shuttle one with the fees. It's $533. So 
Yeah, shows have gone up a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> so that was $18 to go to Woodstock. $18. <laughs> oh my God, what the f***? That's so f***. But you had to bring your own tent. You had to bring your own tent. I don't know if you ever watched any uh, documentaries on Woodstock or not. I remember being real muddy. Like <laughs> it was pretty muddy. Yeah, they ran out of food, and they actually had to have like an emergency, like kind of like a community meeting. And the community got together and they like donated all this food. To these strung out hippies. Um, for so these they strung were like, out hippies. So did people bring their own food for three days, but they didn't think about it? Or like the Woodstock people were like, oh, we'll feed you. And then didn't realize how many people were going to show up. Yeah. Okay. So they sold around 186,000 tickets. Wow. And then more people just showed up. The other thing about the whole entire thing, it was like, yeah, okay, about 200,000 people. That's quite a bit of people. But I guess it was so poorly planned that people just kind of busted through the gates. They snuck in or... I could see that. Like, it's probably not secured in the same way nowadays things no. are. Like, we learned a lot of lessons from Woodstock. <laughs> Definitely. The actual lineup, if you look at who played, I mean, it was pretty incredible from crosby stills nash joe cocker to santana to the who jefferson airplane janice joplin the grateful dead joan baez probably the only band that i don't see in here is the doors and the beatles but the beatles weren't really playing live at that time anymore and then um were a lot of these bands at that time huge bands or are some of them up and coming at that point they're pretty huge at the time i mean the who was probably at their peak and so was janice joplin i mean this was the summer of love so that's true yeah i know it's just you know you think about it, you're like oh they're famous to me now but i'm like oh i wonder what they were like then like if they were in mid-career early career right and if you think about it like not even a year later janice joplin died Jimi hendrix died and also Jim Morrison. Oh, they all died in 70? Yeah. That's sad. Yeah. Talk about like losing like three really big icons. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Simon Garfunkel weren't invited. The Rolling Stones. They were invited, but they declined. And also Beatles were in the talks, blah, blah, blah. The birds. Anyway, so... So, Jimi Hendrix played very last. He played at 9 a.m. <laughs> till 11.10 a.m. At 9 a.m., he was the last person to play? Yep. So, they started on, like, a Friday? Yeah, it was Friday. And they're expecting it to be only two days. And it just pushed on through to the so next day. So, did people just play music all day long? And all night long? It looks like it. <laughs> and so he ended up closing it out like Sunday at like 9 a.m.? Uh, yeah. Like they didn't wait to like, oh, we'll wait to have like an evening thing. It was like, oh, I'll just close no, it out. No, people are packing up and going. So did he have like a big crowd or was it like already people leaving? Okay, here's the thing. I always heard that he did play to a smaller crowd, which mm-hmm. I thought it was like twenty-five to 50,000 people. No, he played to about 200,000. 
Oh, but that's like half the people. So <laughs> yeah, it's like exactly. not sad. It's like it's still a lot. When you think about Jimi Hendrix now, yes, he was legendary back then. Yes, everybody knew he was like the greatest guitarist in the world. Da da da. He was this crazy guy that played guitar with his teeth, and I can't even remember all the other bullshit. But because he plays back, like, doesn't he play like the guitar the backwards and way under his legs? Yeah, he plays it left handed. Mm-hmm. And but I've talked to people who went to like the say the Monterey Pot Fest, like my parents of all people. And there was three days, but it wasn't a camp out. And they chose to go the other days and not see Jimi Hendrix. And a lot of people were like that. They're like, oh, yeah, you know, I chose to see this other band instead. Because, like, at the time, Jimi Hendrix was just too crazy. Oh, like, too experimental. It was like, oh, that guy. Well, I have to admit, it's pretty noisy. Oh, God, it's really noisy. That's what I love about it. (laughs) So, it's a new to people a new sound so it's not always appealing yeah totally and if you think about okay well nowadays like Jimi hendrix is like the guitar god probably one of the best guitarists in the world he's like acquired he's a very acquired taste i feel like it's like this like there's people who like and can appreciate i feel like that's me and then there's people who are obsessed I think there's like a special obsession people have. With oh them. God, yeah, I'm like obsessed with Jimi that, Hendrix. That's why we're doing this. This is not for Fourth of July. This is <laughs> it's like a, he's like, let me talk about Jimi Hendrix, please. I'm like, sure, fine. <laughs> we'll do it special because obviously, I was thinking he's kind of like a great American. Like he's like this cool musician who like put together this. I don't know. Just, Really special, unique, one-of-a-kind person. So I think he should be celebrated for 4th of July. <laughs> it's definitely for me to like flex my knowledge of Jimi Hendrix because I know so much about Jimi Hendrix. Yeah, I mean, he's like influenced me in many different ways, just in general. When did you first hear Jimi Hendrix? When I was like 12. Okay, because your parents <laughs> listened to Jimi Hendrix when you were a kid, or no? No, I happened to just like rent this Jimi Hendrix live thing at the video store. I rented it a couple times. It was like the live at Berkeley one. Mm-hmm. I think the first song was Johnny Be Good. And I was like, this guy is so f- crazy. Nice. And at the time, I was like, probably just maybe listening to Metallica. And I was like, this guy is really weird. Uh-huh. And you know, during the time I was taking guitar lessons and stuff, and it just somehow, like, him and, like, Pot High School just all kind of meshed together for me. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. No, that's good. So he was just, he's, like, this legendary figure in the music world. And I really feel like if you play guitar, it's like, how do you not learn about him and then then you have a special love because like for me, it's like, I don't know how to play guitar, but so it's like, I'm not learning it, but when (laughs) you are, you have a special appreciation for people who play. Right. And then you see like how crazy he played and how he was able to play and the sounds he produced. Did he, was he bringing in all that pedal sound craziness to like how he used it was different. Right. See, like people who listen to it now might be like, Oh, that's quaint, but it's like experimental then. Right. God. Uh, 
like invented. It's like, hello, that's where uh, I'm coming from. Okay, so <laughs> okay, so back in the day, the British invasion, uh, well, the second British invasion, aside from the Beatles, Cream and the Rolling Stones and all of them, they're all inspired by like blues bands in America. But then Jimi Hendrix went over there and just blew it up because he had to go over to England to make it big in a sense. But if you think about how guitarists were playing back then, there was a guy that would just do octaves or there was a guy that would just do bends and stuff like that, where he was just doing it all himself. He was doing all this crazy shit that no one has ever seen him anybody do like he was doing bands he was playing the octaves he was playing the rhythm while doing the leads he was like a little bit of like everything and then incorporating like these big amplifiers to make a whole bunch of noise and doing the feedback thing that's a Jimi hendrix thing wow like a true innovator yeah true innovator that's, that's pretty cool do you know what his influences were Blues Axe, and I remember he had a few records, and he just kind of like listened to them all the time, and he learned how to play it by ear. <laughs> it's like, what the f***, dude? Really? Upside down. Like, right? Like he Yeah, left-handed. Yeah, flipped, or whatever. So he must have, like, destroyed England, because if they were already, like, liking our blues music, and then he comes in... You know what I mean? Like truly coming from like <laughs> the states of blues music and then taking it to this other crazy level. Definitely. He played along with Elvis Presley, particularly Hound Dog. He also liked Muddy Waters, B.B. King, Helen Wolf, Robert Johnson. His first television theme, he learned how to play Peter Gunn. So, yeah. He also, well, we could get into that later. Let's get a little bit more into the performance. Yeah. So we listened to. Yes. We listened to the album, which was just his performance. The album, which I bought when I was a kid, it was released August 20th of 1994. It was recorded August 18th of 1969. It was edited heavily. You could tell. They record all of Woodstock. Or just yes, some of the they artists. recorded all of it. Okay. The cool thing about this is it was probably his biggest band that he's ever had because, you know, he passed away. So we don't know what he would have done after. But he had two conga players, he had a rhythm guitar player, and of course, Billy Cox, which was someone who he played with in the Chitlin circuit, one of his drummers, which a lot of drummers love. Mitch Mitchell. They think he's like one of the greatest drummers in the world. To hardcore drummers, they think that, you know, it's called the Mitch Mitchell experience and he just had some really good guitarists. He's like a legendary drummer. Wow. But what a lot of people don't know is in the recordings, if it was a blues song, he didn't have Mitch Mitchell play. He had this other guy named Buddy Miles play because Buddy Miles is more of a uh, cement truck kind of a drummer. He plays more blues, where Mitch Mitchell's very flowy and 
more of a jazz drummer. Oh, okay. Most see, I think sometimes I don't know. You think about that time period. Everyone's all kind of like high and crazy. You forget how music nerdy they could possibly have been as well. Like, you know, like being really specific about the sounds he wanted. He wasn't like, whatever, drummer. It was like he had very specific tastes of like what he wanted. Okay, so this is the first iteration of the Band of Gypsies. And he had another one because of pretty much a contract that he owed this one record label an album. So he put together the Band of Gypsies again, but with his buddy, Buddy Miles and Billy Cox, which they were all friends during like the Chitlin circuit. And, you know, he played with like Little Richard and Isley Brothers. And Little Richard is always pushing music yeah. too. Well, the whole entire story is, is that Jimi Hendrix one time wore like this kind of flashy shirt right before the performance. And then Little Richard said, no, that's too outgoing. You got to change your shirt because I'm the outgoing one. And he tried to make him change his shirt and he was like, peace. <laughs> yeah. Cause it's like, yeah, cause Little Richard was flashy. Yeah. And then, but Jimi Hendrix wore all sorts of like flowy things and scarves and Definitely. Okay, so the, Billy Cox, he also knew during his army days. And then the rhythm guitarist, Larry Lee, he's kind of in there a little bit, but he's also played with Jimi Hendrix back in the day, I guess during the Chinlin circuits. But he's also played with like Al Green. He's done pretty well too. I don't know where he got the percussionist from. Storygram Network. Hello, welcome to One Media, One Media. I'm your host, Takeshi, and with me I have Santos, and we take two pieces of media, and we take a deep dive on them. Kind of. We just talk about it. Kind of. Hi, my name is Laura Lee, and this is It's Not About Food. So it's not about food, and it's not about weight. What is it about? It's the intersection of possibility, where what-ifs and why-nots collide. Some on the cutting edge, others on the cutting room floor. It's a place I like to call The Bleed. We sip our cares away, and you can do the same, cause you're in a safe place when you're whining with nurses. M Network. Do you think Jimi Hendrix is a crossover artist like in that other circuit was like all black artists and musicians and he and like Woodstock is not, you know, it's like a white kind of more like musician. So like what's Jimi Hendrix was like this crossover like of rock and roll? Well, that's a pretty good question. But he during his era, he was always kind of battling with that because he didn't like the fact that he had two white guys as his rhythm section. He didn't really like <laughs> Noel Redding much. Okay. He respected Mitch Mitchell. So that's why he brought on Billy Cox and Noel Redding. He was a rhythm guitarist before he joined Jimi Hendrix. So he always wanted to kind of do his own thing. And I don't know where it went after that, but he knew Billy Cox. That was his buddy. That's why he got him in. And that's why the band of Gypsies, even though this was his largest band and also has more african-americans in his band i think mitch mitchell might be the only white guy in his band 
the band of gypsies the recording is actually more important because it was all black band mm. like he was being very specific about yes. that like having control over his band and who represented because i'm sure there's a lot it'd be interesting to look into that side right now because <laughs> it's like a time period where all of that was going on and so I, all of a sudden it struck me as like oh yeah he's kind of like the only and like when you're talking about this other circuit i'm like oh it sounds like it was separated definitely and so he always kept that in mind but he was always battling with his manager and i don't know what's true and what's not Jimi Hendrix claims that his manager had the mafia kidnap him, and then the manager had to pay a ransom for him. They were always battling. So, like at one point after the Band of Gypsies, his manager wanted him to get the experience back together. He brought Noel Redding and Mitch Mitchell back, and Jimi Hendrix was like, "Uh, uh-uh, uh, I'm not playing with that bass player." <laughs> so he got rid of the bass player again, and then put Billy Cox in there. But yeah, that's a whole entire other story. <laughs> it is, <sorry. laughs> There's so much. I mean, he's like this amazing figure in um, our history. So it's like in a very in- interesting time period. And once again, it's during this one time, there wasn't that many videos about him or a lot of the stuff is all like by hearsay kind of, or people mm-hmm. who just took some pictures because of course no one had iPhones back then. <laughs> exactly. He wasn't tweeting his opinions to everybody. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I think Jimi Hendrix got paid, I think it was $10,000 for the performance, if I remember right. He was like probably the highest paid performer. For some reason, the Wikipedia is really weak right now. It used to have a ton more information, but whatever. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what's going on. Um, So anyway, the band rehearsed two times before this. So I think if you hear like the performance, it is a little lopsided. And I can't tell if that's in the mixing or if they weren't able to capture everybody else well. Because you can't really hear the congas. And you could barely hear Larry Lee, the rhythm guitarist. All you could hear is Jimi Hendrix, Mitch Mitchell, and Billy Cox. And that's about it. Like every once in a while, you hear the other guitarists, but not much. It's a little unfortunate. Yeah. But is that the nature of a live recording, too? It could be. Yeah. But like, I don't know if you noticed that, like, if you listen to it, like they're talking and, and they do the intros, it's all like kind of front and center. And then mm-hmm. as soon as they start playing, they push everything's on the right. And then Jimmy Hendrix's guitar is on the left. And then his vocals are kind of more in the center. And that was a little weird. I was like, why mm-hmm. would they decide to do this? This is like an old school way of mixing. This is like a 60s style of mixing, so... Well, it's still technically the 60s. Yeah, but I don't know. I would have mixed it differently. I mean, <laughs> it's just me. We need you to travel back in time. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Do like a true stereo recording. But anyways, there are songs missing from this, which is pretty unfortunate. Jimi Hendrix did come out for an encore. He played... I- figured i was like there's no way he ended with this song and then was just like bye like i was like "Mm." yeah so he played hey joe as an encore he hardly ever did oh that's on the album yeah that's the last song oh 
I didn't realize it was an encore, though. I just thought it okay, was. Okay, yeah, that was an encore. Yeah, definitely. And then there's like at least one or two other songs that are missing from here and are just in the tape somewhere that whoever mixed and edited this, uh, they chose to take it out. And it was more songs written by Larry Lee, or he was more predominant in it. So I don't know what they are. I never heard them. <laughs> oh, they don't tell you. Nope. Well, there's a lot of songs on this album. It's like an hour and 36 minutes long. Is it an hour and 36 minutes? It's long. Oh, God, yeah. I didn't even know. <laughs> it's 16 songs. So that could be a part of it, too. They played for about two hours. So, yeah, that's about right. <laughs> it's a long, yeah, it's long, long album. And so it is edited pretty heavily. But, God, I love this album so much. When I used to produce the morning show at KSUY, I would have to come in on July 5th and do it if it was on a weekday. And I'd always play Song. Nice. <laughs> the Star Spangled Banner. Yes. So, highlight. Yeah, definite highlight. I mean, he's done like other performances of the Star Spangled Banner, but this was the one where people knew that he he did this crazy performance of the Star Spangled Banner at Woodstock. And if you think about it, it was so notorious. And, but there was no cell phones. There was no cable television to capture it right away. People just heard about it. What the f***? No, that's so cool. Yeah, I wonder when, when they started releasing this stuff. The Woodstock movie came out 1970. Uh, really? Like a year later? Yeah, about a year later, but still. So people that- had to wait a year and then watch it in a movie theater. <laughs> so- do you know what I mean? Like, it's nothing instant. Like, people can go live. Like, if there's something cool going on, I can go live on Instagram and share. Yeah, but th- at the same time, that's what I kind of hate about a performance nowadays. Because people aren't engaged in the performance. All they're doing is holding up their f- phone. Yeah, it's terrible. Isidore Duncan, who is a dancer, like, way back in the beginning of the 1900s, until, like, 1929 or something, she did not, like film when it started coming out and she would refuse to be filmed. And a a big part of it is because you get more of that talked about kind of like mythical level of like when what just a group of people see you perform, then it's like, what did you see that? And then you get all this stuff, but she was against filming things like that. So I think she'd be horrified <laughs> now, like, or like you said, because you're not engaged. Like it was really important for her that you were Paying attention to the performance. Right. I mean, do you ever watch people like just sit there and they're on their phone while like this band is playing? And to me, that's pretty disrespectful. I mean, you paid all this money to get in and you're just going to hang out on your phone and chat with your friend on Facebook or. It's weird. It's like, why are you capturing this moment? Why don't you just take it in? Take the music in. (laughs) <laughs> no, it's true. There's this exchange with the um, band and 
the audience and you're not really exchanging anything if you are just staring down at your phone or even just filming them through it for your own gain to share later. It's like, no, just be here. It's, it's like, like it's why okay. hold up your phone and record this when is this going to be some audio coming out of it? It sounds like dookie. I was thinking about like seeing Rasputina as she kept performing over the years. It's gotten smaller, like these recitals. They're quite intimate. And, um, she did a song where she ended up choking up and starting to cry. Oh, it was yeah, during the TV right? song. I remember and I was so there. If we were sitting there filming, would we have felt the emotion in the same way or felt as connected to her sharing with us? So I just felt like it was Absolutely very, it felt not. so beautiful. And like you would have missed it if you were just watching her through your phone. And it would never, re-watching it wouldn't be the same. Right. And that was during the iPhone days well maybe it was a little bit before the iphone like there was an instagram yet so there was an instagram and the the iphone wasn't like so like it was big if it was during that time because i didn't have an iphone i know i did it for a fact and i think you had to be a little bougie to have an iphone at the time if i remember right i mean no yeah and it wasn't at the level where it's like you people can make movies off of isn't <laughs> Right, right, right. If they really needed to, they could make a f- movie right now. If they kind of had some intuition to do that, but they're too busy f- hanging out on Instagram. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. God damn it. I keep, keep on going off on tangents. That's okay. It's, it's a my special bad. episode. Um, <laughs> well, okay. so this album was really important to you. I just wanted to tell you that I grew up listening to Jimi Hendrix and okay. Rolling Stones and Janis Joplin and all this group because that's my parents' generation and... When I told my mom, I was like, oh, we're recording today a special with the, you know, this album. She was like, oh, it's a great album. You know? <laughs> so it was in my life in a different way. Yeah. Just- but I bet you even your parents would be like, oh, yeah, I like Jimi Hendrix, but I didn't want to go see him. <laughs> I'll ask. I know they saw Santana and stuff because they were Bay Area locals. And so was he. So they got to see him for free, like in Oakland and stuff playing. But I don't know if either one of them would have thought to go. You know, I think my mom was on the younger side too. She wasn't old enough to probably go. Also, the cool thing about this album, <laughs> Jimi Hendrix, he was always pro effects on his guitar. And that was like one of his ways of like expressing himself or whatever the, you want to call it. Because, you know, that's what they do. So he's always all about the Wawa pedal. And that's very prominent in Voodoo Child, Slight Return. And also he used this thing called a univibe, which has like chorus. And then when you push down on the pedal, like a wawa pedal in a way, it's supposed to emulate a Leslie speaker from like one of those organs. So it kind of creates like this crazy modulation kind of sound and stepping kind of weird sound. And that's all over the performance. You can hear it. It's just like, and like, God, I love that sound. I actually have... <laughs> The remake of it when it was released in the 90s. He also was pro distortion, and that's all over there too. And he also used a Marshall 100 Super Lead Plexi heads with a 4x12 stack. Jimi Hendrix is also known for the Hendrix bend, which is kind of in there. Uh, yeah, it's in there. It's like when he bends a note, and then all of a sudden, he bends it so hard that like all of a sudden like feedback just appears in a way. That's what I love about him. He plays so f- loud that it's, there's chaos everywhere. 
that's why I love this album. And I always kind of go back to it and listen to it. I go, God damn, it must have been so cool to see him way mm-hmm. back when. And I think he mentions unicorns once in it. So, which really? is kind of funny too. Yeah. Awesome. His state of mind, I mean, I'm sure he was just partying like all the time too, unfortunately. And it's like people always go, well, yeah, he did tons of acid, but. Like most drugs, if you do like a lot of it and you do it all the time, it doesn't affect your brain as much because you don't have anything in there to affect you with. Like you mean like you don't have like your tolerance changes? Your or tolerance not- changes. The more like, okay, so the more LSD you do within that, like say week, if you do like a hundred hits of LSD or whatever, you're not going to feel it like the way you did it the first day. Like Monday's gonna be crazy, but by Friday you're like, uh. <laughs> <laughs> that's a lot of brain opening. It's too much. Yeah, whatever. I'm sure, but you know, you know what I mean though. Like people always say, oh yeah, he did tons of acid and did all this stuff, but his tolerance was probably so high because if he did do that much, then he probably didn't feel it as much as a normal person would. Well, obviously, yeah, he's productive enough to like create music right. and tour and. Write songs, right? Yes, exactly. Like he wasn't like blitzed out on drugs. <laughs> totally. So that's why his guitar sounds so f- insane. It's definitely the Univibe that gives it that extra edge. I've always wanted like an old 60s, 70s style Univibe. Still to this day. One day. Yeah, one, one day. day. Let's put it on our like wish list so we <laughs> can get it for us. <laughs> right, right. Totally. The performance, the thing about it is just like, the unfortunate thing is that, like I said before, is like you can't hear everything. This is pretty much just a three-piece in a way, except for maybe that jam at the house thing. You can kind of hear the other player playing a lead in there. And I think he takes a lead in Hear My Train Coming, the other guy. And that's about it. (laughs) Do you, do you have like a favorite song? Yeah. Do you have like a go-to Jimi Hendrix song? On here? Mm-hmm. Or do you just like the album? Like you, I you like it as this, a you... whole. I think it's pretty f-ing amazing, but I do really like the very last song where he just... Well, okay, it's two songs where he just goes off right after Purple Haze. He just goes off on this weird tangent thing. Okay, that's the other thing about Jimi Hendrix too. <laughs> Talking about tangents, he did get interviewed a couple times about how like when he plays live, why does it sound like the album? And in the interviews, he would say, well, if you wanted to see me play those songs note for note, you might as well just play the album. If you're here to see me live, you're going to hear it improvised and be all crazy. So that's why I always liked the bone. That's fair. It's so funny to parallel him with, sorry, with my Isidore Duncan knowledge. Like every dance you do, like choreography, how my teacher taught me, it shouldn't look the same technically because you don't want it to be mechanical. It's art. So there's still emotion in there and there's like this playfulness and creativity. So with a dance, you wouldn't go way off, but it's not going to be like a robot. Like you're not going to look like a robot. And so that's a good point to say like, well, if you want to hear a certain song in a certain way, that's on the album, listen to the album. But he's right. Like, but he's going to perform. Like <laughs> He's going to play. So yeah. And I always loved like watching Jimi Hendrix and Mitch Mitchell play together because Jimi Hendrix would just go off on this crazy 
crazy solo. And then he'd look back at Mitch Mitchell, and then all of a sudden they'd like kind of go to the other part of the song. He'd just give him a little look. There's another song that's on the Band of Gypsies. It was all improv. There's not like a real recorded version of it or anything. It's it's fucking amazing. So favorite songs on here. Yeah. I would say the last song is really good. What's the last song? You mean like Hey Joe? No, or like the, the one, one right before, before it. Yeah, the one right before it. probably like one of my favorites on here and of course like the star spangled banners amazing <laughs> <laughs> Started or ended, yeah. What is that song? Yeah, all of those One of the two. Like, uh, just keep cutting it through the whole episode. <laughs> yeah, right. That's that's probably a good idea. It's Fourth of July. That's our celebration. So that's the song. It's really cool to hear a song turned into this. You know, like a song you know in a certain way, like from like. Right. Baseball game. There's a big being sung and then him just destroying it in this totally cool other way. So Yeah, it's a performance art to say the least. Yeah. Your only performance art you like. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, totally. To me, like this was definitely the best version of the Star Spangled Banner he's ever done. The other versions, I mean, yes, it has all the crazy bomb drops and everything, but this is just out there. Mm-hmm. And at this time, him kind of you all over the Star Spangled Banner, like the way he did, and he turned it more into a protest song. is It's pretty epic, and it's pretty out there for its time. Mm-hmm. No, as I was saying, it's, it's so sad. So he died only like months later or something? Uh, about a year later, yeah. A year later? Yeah, huh. around there. He passed away September 18th of 1970, so a little bit over a year later. And once again, don't be giving our rock stars and our icons sleeping aid. 
Oh, he died from sleeping pills? Well, he choked on his own vomit, and then he just died. Yeah. It's unfortunate, but it was a sleeping pill that he first took. Sleeping pills are the worst. And especially, like, if you're using drugs. I'm sorry. Yeah, you shouldn't be. That's why you can't sleep. So it's like, <laughs> don't give them more drugs on top of what they're doing. Yeah, totally. Uh, and you know they're going to be drinking and doing other things. So it's just risky behavior. I guess that's how you get that type of music. I don't know. Maybe <laughs> it just seems like that's crazy. I mean, there was rumors during the time that he was going to get together with Emerson, Lake, and Palmer to do an album. Whether that would have worked out or not, I don't know. But it, that would have been pretty interesting to hear. I don't know if you know who Emerson, Lake, and Palmer is. Keith Emerson is like one of the greatest keyboardists in the world, supposedly. He had this crazy modular Moog. It was really cool. So I'm kind of curious how that would have ended up. I mean, come on, let's face it. Jimi Hendrix would not have come out good through the 70s and 80s. He might have had a revival in the 90s. He would have for sure in the 90s because there's a lot of revivals going on. That's true. But you don't know he, if he was experimental as much as he was, he might have produced things we don't know what yeah <laughs> god the 80s though man it really destroyed <sighs> yeah that would be what about punk rock he would have probably i don't know if he would have embraced what that about metal you don't think he would have liked metal no they took from him <laughs> they, <laughs> they yeah. did they did well the term heavy metal supposedly the f urban legend was is that keith Richards saw Jimi hendrix play and he was like whoa Oh, yeah, he was on acid, too. And Keith Richards was like, whoa, it's like heavy metal falling from the sky. <laughs> I want that to be true. <laughs> That's a great story. Yeah, yeah, I guess he wouldn't have liked metal. Who knows? Because he was all about free love and peace That's and true. everything. And that got crushed multiple times. I could see him playing with, like, maybe P-Funk. You think he would have just ended up being some, like, jam bander kind of thing where people followed around like kind of like the grateful dead well if he would have went that route that probably would have been really good for him <laughs> but <laughs> i was thinking he might have done the whole entire disco thing and that probably would have ruined him because i know he would have gotten into coke and doing mountains of coke disco, and i find i tend to be like ooh, disco because my parents were much more rock and roll but then when i found out disco was very free love and very like accepting and fun like there's a culture to it that was like really great yeah but and then people took it down that's not what the problem is i think it would be he's been doing drugs for so long he would have gone into the disco era doing more drugs is that's my, true is the yeah, problem i have true. with it and then the 80s oh my god there's 80s coke and oh boy the 80s would have been disastrous i think anyway yeah well, he was perfect for the time period he was in, even if we feel like it was a little short. And yeah, he did accomplish years. a lot in his like short time here. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah, it's, it's just unfortunate. Oh, yeah. The name of the band was Gypsy, Sun, and Rainbow. Or in short, the Band of Gypsies. Aww. It was definitely like a super hippie band. Like, it was definitely like a send-off to like the, the hippie era. And everything. And this is like, once again, we talk about like albums that like kind of like a, a timestamp of what 
that era was like during that time. We're talking about that with Beck and even that other band, Interpol. And this live album is definitely like, here's the summer of love. (laughs) Yeah, and this is where music was being pushed. You know, like this is what people were doing. Yeah, I do hope if he was alive, he would have pushed the envelope even more. But I don't know how he would have. And that's what scares me. (laughs) <laughs> I just hope he would just would have been a blues guy and just done blues or something like that. Well, you know, that's what happens. People then simplify back down to like their roots of like, you know, you never know what direction people go, who they meet and influenced by and maybe taking a break and then come back later. Definitely. Okay. So other songs I like on here. I like that weird jam song, the jam back in the house. The, oh, God. <laughs> Damn it, dude. It's so smart. It's like such a crazy riff. Where is it? That guitar solo was not Jimi Hendrix there. That was the other guy. Oh. You can totally tell. Play. Yeah, but I wonder why there was so much feedback in that area. I wonder if he was trying to turn up his guitar amp a whole bunch more and then it created all this feedback. Because Jimi Hendrix played loud. So mm. <laughs> anyway. Uh, God, I don't know what else I could say about this because, I mean, I could keep on talking about Jimi Hendrix to tell you the truth, but... <laughs> you know, he's bring him back around again for another episode. I think <laughs> I, um, I don't know, would you recommend this album? Um, yes. If you play guitar, <laughs> yes, you definitely should watch anything about Jimi Hendrix. God, that's the thing. This is like the most, to me, the most unrefined Jimi Hendrix that you'll get out of like any recording because it's just so out there. Yeah, maybe I recommend everyone to listen to this on the 4th of July. (laughs) (laughs) At least the Star Spangled Banner. (laughs) Have an experience. Um, Yeah. Yeah, if you, I think as a musician, especially, it's nice to hear where influences come from and to hear the beginnings of things. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, and like I said, it's it's like one of those things where like, yeah, you could listen to his albums and they're really good. They're all really amazing and they're very well done because Jimi Hendrix was a perfectionist. But I like his crazy this raw side of it i mean what is this it's blues messed in with this new rock that has some weird like riffs all over the place and it's just 
sloppy and it's chaotic at points. It has like these definite highs and lows at certain points, but songs I don't like on here are probably like his popular ones, like Foxy Lady. I was not into Foxy Lady, and I think Fire is kind of just there. Uh-huh. So, because <laughs> I know he didn't like playing Foxy Lady either. Oh, really? Is it like one of his singles or people liked it? And he's like, damn it. <laughs> I heard there was a time when someone was like yelling at him to play um, Foxy Lady. and He's put down his guitar and just sat there cross-legged and said, this is what you get. <laughs> oh, like five minutes of silence. That's fair. Foxy Lady is a little bit gimmicky sounding or, or kind of kitschy or something. <laughs> I guess he's a one hit wonder he only has one number one hit and it was foxy lady and he he hated that song the other ones he had hits like foodie child's definitely a hit but it wasn't a number one hit Mm -hmm. anyway yeah we should probably wrap this up i think i talked about him for like 30 minutes or something like that so we're good we got that there Uh, shut the up are we really at an hour Yes, and I think it's great. I think it's you have a lot more to edit than you anticipated. Um, yeah, I love it. I'm glad you brought this up. I think it's something to think about, something different um, for I don't know for Independence Day. Like, like think about this type of independence with sound and music and what you can do. Definitely. So. Anyway, um, you can find me on all social medias at a Glitchy Unicorn. And you can find me on uh, Instagram and Spotify under Sister Santos. All right. Well, we'll see you guys soon.